Hello and welcome to a couple of Europhiles. I am Francis and today it is my great pleasure to welcome back our man in Scotland, Patrick Evans, impresario, playwright and general man about town in Glasgow who has actually been directly involved in some of this week's excitement in Scotland. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about the Scottish Parliament elections, which took place a week ago now and was won by Nikki. We Nikki, but she did not get an outright majority. What are the dynamics of coalition governments in Scotland, Scottish Parliament, and how does voting work in the Scottish elections for the benefits of our listeners? Well, let's start off with talking about how the voting system works. We have a dehont system, in other words, that we have two votes. One is for uh, for broke, Scotland's broken up into constituencies, and we vote for a named person as that vote. Now. In that section of those, that's about half the MSPs. The SNP got sort of 65 out of 69, 73, 75. On the constituency side, the second, the second vote, you vote, vote in region. And this vote is a, is a compensatory scheme in order to ensure a proportional parliament according to the, the number, the share of the vote. And as a result, it's extremely difficult. It's only ever happened once for one party to gain a majority. On this occasion, the SNP gained exactly half the number of potential seats. They ended up with 64 seats, and all the other parties combined also ended up with 64 seats. And so it's an unbelievably spectacular result in terms of the, the Scottish Parliament. But it has resulted in a minority party by, by just one. There's only ever been one majority in the history of the Scottish Parliament. So we're well used to coalition or minority party party government. Yeah, it's, it's designed that way, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. it, they don't really want anyone to have an absolute majority because then it would look like, you know, horrible parliaments like the one down south, perhaps. That's right. I mean, that's, and it's also it was created that way specifically to prevent a pro-independence majority from ever gaining control of the parliament. It just hasn't worked out that way. But uh, that's what it was, why it's designed the way it is. Well, was it designed or, or when they set it up, was it something that Westminster specified or was that something the Scots decided that they wanted to do? To go back to the, the devolution debates, it was thought to start off with that, a, that, that you needed a fairer um, electoral system. It was designed to prevent one party gaining consistent overall overall control. But it, to be fair, at that particular point in time, it was just unthinkable that the SNP would be the party that um, be likely to or would ever gain a, a majority in the parliament. It was it's an accident then that it's now happening to prevent an SNP overall majority because at the time uh, they were a fringe party and I suppose that they were really thinking let's make sure that if 30% of the Scots vote for some party that they don't end up with like two seats because uh, first past the post so that that's what it was designed yeah, for yeah sort of it was back then we're talking about the first term of the Blair government, sort of uh, 1997, 1998, it was designed more to make sure there would be Tories in the parliament, to be honest. I mean, that's otherwise it would just have been a a Labour fiefdom, although so they imagined. 
you know, it didn't work out that way. So, so I think you yourself migrated from being a, a Labour voter in in years gone by correct, yeah. uh, to to the SNP. So, and presumably many of your countrymen have done the same. But what 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 basically essentially made you guys drift? in that general direction, do you think? Well, first of all, it was the, it's purely and simply the experience of devolution, the establishment of the parliament. Before the parliament, there was, Scotland was hardly ever legislated for. So we had, it was still possible back then to throw a brick through someone's window on, on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh and claim that you were in love. And that was a reasonable defence under law. I mean, it sounds arcane and all the rest of it, but there was an awful lot of stuff needed taken off the the statute book just to to ensure the better governance of Scotland. And there was also things there was that there was no motorway to the border. There was no joined up infrastructure because the planning time in the Parliament needed to be done. So the biggest improvement I've lived in Scotland now for be 40 years this October. The biggest improvements all happened as a result of the Parliament. What you slowly began to realise is that if you wanted a a left of centre politics or a more socialised society, the only way you were going to to get it was through constitutional reform, because the the English were returning Tory governments. Scotland hasn't voted for for a Conservative government since the 1950s. You know, That's so a long time, isn't it? It's a long time. That's seventy ah, years before our time, eh? <laughs> before mine, yeah. And I'm getting on. I'm a grandfather, for goodness' sake. You see that the best way of do, of changing your own life is to change the system, and that's where shed loads. Where, when you began to realise, that's when chef load loads of people from the left made the step over to supporting constitutional reform, and there are also other trigger points as well the Iraq war, when the Labour government brought Britain into, into the Iraq war on a fake dossier, that went down really badly in Scotland. There's been a chipping away of what the advantages of the union in over decades. It's, well, it's, you, you're, it's, you're on the cusp it's, now, eh? It's Brexit, Brexit, you know, that sort of, that was uh, just the last nail in a coffin. So one point that you're making about constitutional reform, I mean, I, I have a lot of arguments with uh, with people over constitutions. My hypothesis is that the UK doesn't actually have one. That's part of the problem. No, no, I understand that's part of the problem. That's, that's the point that I make to so many people. But I yeah. always get these arguments. We do have a constitution. We have constitutional scholars and our constitution is there. It's just not written down. But and, it's not you know, a constitution. It's not a constitution, is it? I mean, you're it's, in agreement with me, down. aren't you? Yeah, it's like it's like if you haven't got it written down, then it's not really there, is it? It's like kind of I can look at look at my cat and pretend that, pretend that she's a dog, but like kind yeah, of that's what I said. I, I, I said you, you can call what you have a constitution, or you can call it a banana. But <laughs> you know, reasonable people would not necessarily believe you. Typically, you can read it. But anyway, uh, when Scotland does hopefully become independent, the the theory is that you're actually going to have a constitutional convention and write your own yeah. and actually write it down. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, have it write that, print it and everything, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so everyone can read it, uh, including foreigners, maybe even is. translate it into different languages. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. Some people will know what it is, you know. It's Isn't not a revolutionary that great? idea. <laughs> yeah, revolutionary idea. Oh, exactly. Very revolutionary. American revolutionary. Uh, exactly what they said, 1776. We, we sort of 
catching up with it, trying to catch up with the 18th century. It's a... Ah, well, never mind. But, you know, it's, it's, it's had a fair go. And, you know, under normal circumstances, Britain has managed to control itself and rule itself without a constitution for a long time. But it sort of depends on the prime minister not being a complete plonker, doesn't it? I think it's more about how corrupt your prime minister is, is what re- it really depends on. I mean, at the moment, uh, we're ruled by a complete charlatan. And, uh, you know, I'm just reading in the papers today that there's more allegations of sort of people close to him getting a couple of million pounds worth of government loans. Yeah, but surely that doesn't surprise anyone at this stage, eh? About Boris Johnson? No, it doesn't, but it should. And that's no, the, well, it should. I mean, it's, it should. It should be. A, it should be. You know, I mean, I'm not Puritan or anything, but having five or six illegitimate children and not knowing how many there are, that would normally disqualify you from a position of trust. And, and yes, uh, it would. Yes, and like yeah. sort of uh, threatening on the telephone. I mean, having a recording of you threatening to beat a journalist up or sending someone to beat it up. <laughs> Well, you think that would too, or alternatively, you might think that sort of um, spending money on your uh, on your mistress straight from the funds of eight hundred uh, pounds a roll of wallpaper, apparently. No, yeah, um, now it's wallpaper, you know, because didn't, Harry didn't know they it. had eight hundred pound a roll of wallpaper. No, nor did I. <laughs> Have you seen a picture? Of, oh, it's uh, god awful, isn't it? <laughs> it's just like you just move just to get away from that wallpaper. No, but, I know. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Back on top. So, so Nikki has clearly got mo- more seats than anybody else, but not quite an absolute majority. But independence does because they're allied with the Greens, who are with in favour of independence. Yes. Why are the Greens in Scotland in favour of independence? Because they see it as, a, uh, as the only mechanism to get green issues through the statute book. That's why. Um, I voted in my second vote for the Green Party, so I do know a little bit about what the Greens stand for. Essentially, it's about democracy as far as they're concerned. They're as solidly behind independence as the SNP. To say that the people voting for for the Greens, not knowing that they were supporting an independence party, is absurd. I've not actually heard anyone actually together, But taken together, they have 72 seats. So the the yes side have 72 seats in the parliament, whereas the no side have 57. Yeah, so you've clearly got a majority. majority for for independence. So the uh, well, majority majority for instituting another referendum on independence. To be fair, yeah. So going to that, how will the independence movement counter the unionist misinformation onslaught, which was their downfall in 2014? I mean, if I remember correctly, they had this horrific Project Fear thing where they told all these old age pensioners that they wouldn't have their pensions paid and that they would be thrown out of the European Union and that everything would just be tits up and they wouldn't be defended and the Russians would involve the invasion. On the day of the vote, dear friend of mine, uh, who's a pensioner, he was uh, phoned up by a Labour MP and told that he would he would not collect his uh, his pension if Scotland voted for independence, which is just a complete lie. I mean, like, he, he gave the MP short shrift, but you can imagine there were lots of people who didn't. Well, I mean, everybody's scared, right? And that's that's understandable from the point of view of the voter. It's despicable that they take such low tactics to try and get their point across but more to the point you're going to have to put up with that because yeah. those guys are cads and bounders so what's the strategy going to be for the yes movement to counter the misinformation is it going to be better than in 2014 it, it will be there's a quite a there's quite a big difference in the in 
in the management of the of the National Party since 2014. And it's a contrast of the styles of the two leaders, Alex Salmon in 2014 and Nicholas Sturgeon this time around. Do you have to be named after a fish to be in charge of the SNP? I think you do. I think it, I, 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 we're looking we're looking for a pike to come next. I think, but the uh, Nicholas Sturgeon's background as a lawyer means that there's a lot more preparation that's been go- going into this. There's been a unit working on it for well since 2014, I'd imagine. What will happen is there will be a blueprint to independence. Will be fully researched, fully costed, published. So the, um, a document, just like last time, uh, but hopefully a better one than last time, which had holes in it, which will deal with issues like the currency and so on and so forth, the border and so on and so forth. It will that they will put in a large amount of effort to getting information out as to what a new Scotland will look like. Mm-hmm. So assuming she somehow gets permit, I mean, it's already ludicrous that she has to seek permission, but assuming she gets her permission to get the referendum and then she wins the referendum. So what's the plan for success? I mean, I know they haven't actually published it in detail, but there must be some discussion in the pubs about what the plan is. So what's going to happen with the money? Are you guys going to try and hold on to sterling, join the euro or launch your own currency? Well, at the moment, the plan is to, in the first year or so, to establish, to continue to use sterling until a Scots pound can be established at Scottish National Investment Bank, uh, becoming an independent national bank like the Bank of England. That is the plan as published at the moment. I think they'll probably still go with that idea, but with the caveat that that would be obviously changed when we join we rejoin the european union mm. um, estonia for example went straight to the euro because they felt that establishing you know the thing is you can't stick with sterling because the bank of england will be hostile to no, the whole we know concept. that yeah we know, right? we know that so so you need to have your own currency but it's a lot of effort to set up currency and then and then basically Abolish switch it, off yeah. afterwards eh? But at the moment, there's hesitancy about embracing the euro because of the huge amount of anti-European propaganda that was put out before the Brexit referendum and going back years before that about that the euro was was not a great currency. I think well, it is. Large... It's just it's got bad PR. Yes, I know. Yeah, it, it, it didn't have so many newspapers in its favour over here. So I think that it's that their holding position at the moment, which is the establishment of the Scottish currency, is to do with that rather than economic sense at the moment. So it's, it's to do with basically not making it unpalatable for people to vote yes. Yes. I understand. So what about national debt? Alex Salmon, that's the other fish, raised an interesting point. Uh, He said, why should we repay the Brits anything in the national debt? Because the national debt is essentially owed by the Treasury to the Bank of England, which are both UK government entities. So if we we sod off, then it's their problem because the debt is actually not real because it's in sterling. It's all denominated in sterling, which is controlled by the Bank of England. That's an interesting point of view. I'm sure the English will freak out when they don't have all of the Scottish tax, not necessarily personal tax, but certainly corporate tax flowing also, south. And also, the, the, I mean, like sort of the oil revenue and the um, and the whiskey revenue in particular. Normally, and the energy. And uh, the energy, uh, yes. The French are already talking about turning the taps off in Jersey, so, you know. Yeah, well, I'm sure Boris will find another gunboat to send. That's not going to help, is it? It's like new electricity. (laughs) Yeah, like 100 boats, no electricity. (laughs) (laughs) 
what are you going to do? Invade France? Well, as long as as long as they turn the kind of with, with no electricity, people in Jersey can't contact the people in in Britain, and I think that would work fine for as far as Boris uh, <laughs> Johnson. It's all about PR rather than actually what happened. What's um, going to happen with all of the nuclear weapons and stuff? Because the entirety of Britain's nuclear arsenal is in Scotland. I know. I don't know. I saw, saw a lovely joke today saying that we might lease it to China for a, for a hundred years. You never know. <laughs> that go down well, would it? <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do a deal with China to protect you from the Brits. It's a typically Scottish thing to do. We've done that before in our history. Um, That would just be, just even floating that idea would make lots of people's heads explode down in Whitehall. eh? I know, but it was uh, was doing the rounds on Twitter earlier. So I thought that's (laughs) not my idea. That's genius. Ah, oh, fantastic! Here, Fast Lane uh, nuclear facility is uh, is a real contention, and uh, we will no longer want Trident anywhere near our shores. I mean, that's uh, independence movement has been vocally anti-nuclear for many years, and living just down the road from where Britain stores its nuclear weapons, and knowing you know first strike there, I'm dead. You know where I am. I'm the target of any nuclear attack or nuclear accident. Having nuclear weapons driven through the middle of your city in gales, you grow an animosity towards them. Well, there's uh, no point, is there? I mean, th- this is the no. thing. The, the, the Brits and the, the US are constantly harping on about how we should spend more money on, on weapons. And we haven't really got any credible enemies, right? I mean, it's no, like, no. who's who, going to attack who, us, right? Who's going to be really frightened of a nuclear, you know, Al-Qaeda or, you know, this terrorists aren't going to be frightened of a nuclear facility. They're more like to blow it up. I mean, like, it's, it's daftness all round it's a dirty great big invitation and it's expensive i've never particularly been worried about a nuclear bomb arriving on top of me from another nation but i i have genuine concern about the uh, nuclear weapons being transported within sort of what is it quarter of a mile of my house what a, <laughs> it's just awful <laughs> isn't it but it, yeah independence will definitely give you a chance to do something about that although i'm sure somebody will complain what about the border in ireland the border is quite a contentious issue but the irish border has over 250 crossing points and it's got the border going through people's houses and you know it's like it's hard to even tell what side of the border you're on up there whereas if i'm correct the scottish border has fewer crossing points oh much and it's uh, it's actually something that's more credible as a border, but presumably, you know, you've got a tremendous amount. You you would be the only EU country that trades more with England than it does with anyone else if you were independent. So, what about the border? How how would that be uh, handled in the new vision? Well, first of all, I mean, like sort of the. Um... Within the United Kingdom at the moment, or within the British Isles, I should say, there is a common travel area, and there has been since the establishment of the Irish state. So it's established by treaty that sort of there should be freedom of movement between around these these islands established in the 1920s. So I would imagine that freedom of movement would continue. The border itself, we would have to, once we rejoin the EU, we, we would have to put up a border there. There'd be no 
No two ways. Well, if you're actually independent, WTO rules require you to be able to do customs check. And if I understand correctly, your priority would, if you had to, I mean, obviously, everybody wants the best of both worlds and that. But if you had to prioritize, your priority would be to rejoin the EU uh, customs area if if you had to choose between the two, because it's that much bigger. Those figures are deceptive in that a huge amount of our trade, especially what we import, comes from the Republic of Ireland and from Ireland. So milk, for example, you know, the sort of dairy products, like large amounts of agricultural stuff, food stuff that we don't produce enough of here. They do tend to come more from the island of Ireland. What we get from, though we do get large amounts of what we get from, from England too, how much of it is actually traded with companies in England or is it stuff that's arrived in England from the EU or other sources? That Those sort of figures you can't... You ah, can't because, because they're using England as a land bridge. And they, that's they, right. I understand. Okay, but somebody intelligent in Scotland is thinking all this thing through and it's going to yeah. be part of what they put in people's letterboxes. Should be great. You know, sorry, but our negotiations over the past six years or five years have led us to the inescapable conclusion that public schoolboys in charge down south are a bunch of yeah. oh. untrustworthy, you know, people who will do petty things. So no, no, how not- what if they really start to play silly buggers in the negotiations? with you the way that they tried to do with us we were of course are much bigger than them and we can basically spank them and, and just ignore them but scotland being the smaller party would have a harder time dealing with a recalcitrant two-year-old in the negotiations for independence what sort of measures can scotland take to try and mitigate some of that we could li- lease faz lane to the chinese <laughs> <laughs> brilliant you know, I mean, like, sort of, I mean, do they want water still? You know, like, um, ah, electricity, stuff, water, good stuff, yeah. A lot of stuff goes south, you know, power and water being kind of two major, two major things. I doubt the English, I doubt the English will behave in quite that way when it comes to breaking up the United Kingdom. There's uh, too much within the British family to play the same game as you can play with, as far as the English would be called, Johnny Foreigner in Europe. No, 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 right. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. But the Tories, it's almost existing. I mean, they theoretically they'll love it because if you, if Labour loses Scotland they'll never get in ever again in England Labour already has lost Scotland so I mean I, no I know uh, but they won't have ever a chance of getting back in without the Scottish seats I don't know all of Tony Blair's victories there were also majorities in England for Labour no let's, um, hope, let's hope that's the case but the the point is that Boris Johnson will go down in history as the worst leader since Ethelred the Unready if he loses Scotland I mean, it'll be like Queen Mary, right? You know, having Calais carved on her heart. You know, it'll be a tremendous personal blow. And the man is just always concerned about his own well-being rather than the well-being of anything else. And it's going to damage him personally quite substantially. So you would imagine he'd do all sorts of dirty tricks to to try and make things not happen the way that they should. There's one ruse being talked about at the moment in that the summer of 2023 is at the moment being pencil in as the the date for the Scottish referendum there are rumors in coming out of coming out of London that that is also a, a time when Boris Johnson to prevent the referendum may call a snap election 
Yeah, I mean, that's already surprising to the rest of us that for some of our listeners who don't understand, in Britain, the prime minister gets to decide whenever he wants to have an election. That's not quite true. At the moment, the prime minister can't decide whenever he wants to, when to hold, hold a referendum. So Boris Johnson is changing the law back to make that happen. So he can change the constitution so he can hold an election when it's... Well, exactly. this, is, this, is, this goes back to our earlier point. A yeah. constitution that limits the power of government and is controlled by the government, it really doesn't limit anything, does it? You know, they could decide that redheaded people should be arrested if they want and uh, it would just happen, wouldn't it? Getting voter ID for the first time and attempt to start suppressing the vote. As yeah, well. there you go. That'll work. Taking as if, you know, first past the post. And, and, <laughs> and if I'm not wrong, in Westminster, the minority government, the only thing, they are, sorry, the minority party, the only thing they can do is ask six questions a week and then get ignored with no answers. Is that That's because correct. they don't actually, con- they can't actually bring legislation to the floor for a vote, right? Yes, they can. You, you can have opposition motions well you did when when the speaker was the other chap now that he's got an 80 seat majority they can't as far as there's no point i mean like so they can vote against it and prevent it okay well there you go i mean you you, you, you'd be well off out of there mate good luck (laughs) we know (laughs) (laughs) it's like very clear (laughs) exactly so what about uh you know i had uh michael gove who is allegedly scottish person michael gove said that everyone should be focused on COVID recovery rather than independence right now. And to be fair, Nikki has basically been very much about COVID and, and COVID prevention and COVID recovery yeah. with her with her press conference and so forth. Is there any chance that the, the COVID recovery thing will take precedence and, and push independence further out? Well, I think that there are two different views about what that term means until the pandemic is over. In Nicola Sturgeon's worldview, that is when the medical emergency is over, which could be as, you know, within six months or so, it's quite possible. What Michael Gove means is the economic recovery after, which could take oh, 20 years. Well, they'll never recover because they're basically spending money like water and they've just done Brexit, which hasn't helped the economy at all. So yeah, if yeah, you're going to get back to pre-Brexit economics, it'll take a long time. It hey. take, you know, as I say, it could take a whole generation and then you can have another vote. Yeah. Another hundred years. <laughs> so, so these things are, are being put there to sort of, it, it sounds a reasonable proposition and both sides agree that it is a re- reasonable proposition to wait until the COVID emergency, uh, medical emergency is over before embarking on a referendum campaign. Makes sense. Um, there are two vi- the, the two further views from that is that on the independent side, it's not independence or recovery, it's independence for recovery, in that in order to have the proper tools in order to recover from what's just happened to, to, to Scotland, we would need to have the powers of an independent state. Uh, that's definitely and obviously a yes view. How would the putative neutral Scotsman view? I mean, everyone thinks that Nicola Sturgeon has done a better job in COVID than the English have. Does that confidence in, in competence extend to the recovery economically under an independent scenario? I mean, do, do people believe the SNP, not just the SNP voters, but the, the other normal people? Oh, yeah, no, no, there is. I mean, there's no doubt that under the, what, 16 years now of SNP control over Scotland, Scotland has been well managed. 
the world hasn't fallen apart in the last 16 years and the fabric of our society has improved. There's no two ways about it. And there have been some real differences here in terms of free prescriptions are available here in Scotland. They're not available in, in England. We've got them. Uh, university tu- free uni- university tuition in Scotland, as opposed to in England. So there's, I mean, I could go on and on and on about that sort of stuff, but there is an awful lot of advantages to living north of the borders and south. No, as that's was, true. Yeah. But of course, the English say that's because England subsidises all of that. That's what they say anyway. But no, I understand the economics are all twisted, but let's not go there. So on to the question that a lot of our listeners are dying to hear. What really happened in Pollock Shields, Glasgow, on Edelftir. Well, what happened was the Home Office Enforcement Unit, uh, what these are as a specific police force, turned up in Pollock Shields to grab a, a couple of a couple of residents whose visas had run out with an attempt to port them back to India. Uh, but wouldn't have happened. They'd have probably been just taken to a detention centre, kept there for a month or two, and then released released again. But it was against their it was against their uh, their rights as uh, as human beings to to do that. So the, the this enforcement unit turned up in in Pollock Shields with on Eid. Pollock Shields is a the most multicultural area of Scotland. They were spotted outside the flat by a couple of lo- a couple of locals. One bloke dived underneath the enforcement unit van so that they couldn't drive off with the people. And he just stayed there. He's a hero. He stayed there for eight hours. Spent his time under there sort of basically texting his mates, sort of come around and help. And like sort of people just did. And it because of the, the the multicultural nature of the, the of the area, there are support groups and that sort of for people under threat of deportation. So the word went out far and wide, and the police, that the enforcement police, were suddenly surrounded by locals. They weren't doing any nasty towards, and they just sat in the road all the way round their vehicle and refused to move. So the Home Office called the city police to protect them from the, no- the, the locals. And this set up an enormous, great big stand-up, standoff that lasted for about eight hours, with more and more and more people from across the city turning up in Pollock Shields. I've seen the, the reports that there was a couple of hundred. I can tell you there is well over a thousand people, genuinely more than a thousand people there. In the end, a, a settlement was agreed between the, the police and the community, but brokered by a, a local immigration lawyer, Ama Anwar, saying that the basically he said to them, there's only two ways this ends. One is you send in riot police and you, you get a, an appalling situation happening or you release them into the community. The police who are all tooled up, I walked around the, the perimeter of it, there were the, the police horses were ready. There were vans and vans and vans of policemen. I've never seen so many. Kind of all that, that you know, they sort of uh, the right shields were out, all of that kind of stuff. The police probably annoyed because the Home Office hadn't called them to tell them that this was happening. The, 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 the police work for the Home Office, from, if I'm not from, wrong. From, from the, the Home Office to, to, to the city, city police. Because when I was there, I was talking to the cops. And they're saying it's not our fault. It's not our fault. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, don't blame us. Please <laughs> don't beat us up. The, the police were really good humoured. I mean, like they were, they were fine. They were just kind of, you know, they had this crowd chanting at them. You know, a couple of them were just sort of saying, right, right. He said, yeah, we agree. You know, 
what can we do? Well, you know, so there have been talk on some of the social networks and they say it's just almost too much to be a coincidence that large, well-marked home office immigration yes. removal plan. Yeah, and it's in Nicola Sturgeon's constituency, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, she's my local MSP. Yeah, so, uh, so, so you know, I mean, she just wins the independence election and they send this provocation out there and it happens to be Eid, which is like trying to arrest, you know, devout Catholic on say, Christmas yeah. Day. Eh? Yeah. And it's really important around here. It's really important. I mean, Pollock Shields is, is a lovely multicultural uh, community made up of many people of many backgrounds many faiths we have a long tradition here in Politchfield because the far right have turned up of the the white community turning out to support our immigrant neighbor, neighbors and vice versa it's a great multicultural community we have uh, a good relationship across all faiths this kind of thing is just provocation as far as we're concerned, it's sort of get out of our community, you know, sort of don't bring your, head to you, Jimmy. your London views down here, uh, up here, you know, you're not wanted. And the Home Office put out something about sort of that this isn't the way that people should behave in our country, which is the point. We don't think up here is your country. And you don't behave like that here. It's the point. You've got it. Long last. There you go. Not now you've got country. it. <laughs> You're finally getting it. Yeah. No, it makes all sense. In contrast, there's been some quite disturbing headlines recently about EU citizens being detained in concentration camps in Comunicado and then deported. And the agreement that we have is supposed to be for 90 days visa-free travel. Now, it's yeah. possible that the new rules say you can't work or whatever, but why wouldn't you just like prevent them from working instead of prevent them from entering. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You know, we we don't understand what's behind it. What's behind it is thinly veiled dog whistles to the racist right. Is what, no, what, they're doing this almost as if they are deliberately trying to piss us off, right? And, and, you know, that's working. It's definitely working. There are some serious repercussions being debated, reciprocal measures and so forth and so on, which are undesirable. I mean, to say the least, I mean, we don't want to do it, but buggered if we're going to have our citizens treated like this. However, we, what we don't see is, is the upside. What on earth could inspire people? I mean, just because because you want to get someone to say good on you, mate, in some racist pub somewhere, the, the consequences seem to be far greater than the benefits, as far as we can see, but we don't uh, understand it. Well, I think you're looking for more intelligence than is actually there within the people making this. Ah, these. yes. Um, never, never assume evil intent when stupidity can possibly be the answer. <laughs> well, I think it's short-sightedness, extreme short-sightedness, that they are so they're a, a government in chaos and in crisis that I, I should think within the Conservative Party they're positioning themselves for their for the fall of Boris Johnson and they're trying to you know pretty Patel at the Home Office is trying to be the sort of um, the strong and never was anyone worse named you know she's gone that very very sort of draconian views her own parents wouldn't have made it into the uk had the same policies been in place then eh? no absolutely absolutely no you know we can't there's no accounting for taste i mean believe pretty patel was the one who said let's stop food shipments to ireland until they agree with the brexit thing not realizing that ireland has the greatest food security on the planet so not realizing that sort of one of the great crimes of british rule in ireland 
Ireland was the Irish potato famine. Yeah. Yeah, which was entirely avoidable. Of today and ignorant of yesterday. Well, no, I think she knew. I think I, I think that was the point of her threat. It's like, well, we can make that happen again unless you agree with us. It's a gunboat diplomacy, you know, 18th century. The last question I've got on this uh, on this list, which is quite point: What can Europe do to support Scotland in their struggle for self determination? I've signed a petition recently, Europe for Scotland. The MEPs are, are actually debating it. Uh, we've had over a hundred thousand people sign the petition. We support Scotland's reaction to the European Union. Just keep a light on for us. I have not ever heard any European say, I think Scotland should not be allowed back in, right? Everybody's rooting for Scotland. In particular, the more that the British, or more to the point, the English, act in such a underhanded and, and you know, terrible way, leaves a bad taste in your mouth, the more you feel sympathy for the Scots, really. So I think, you know, once you're actually independent, I know the Spanish will, will not provide, provide, everyone talks about Catalonia and that, but the, the Spanish are on record as supporting an immediate accession of Scotland because the situation is completely different. Spain's issue with Catalonia has to do with the written constitution that they've got. I know. I mean, like, sort of that's, I suppose, the unwritten one that we've got. The uh, It's with the treaty that we signed with troops at our border. Yeah, but you know, even treaties that you signed are revocable post. because a treaty is, a, is a, you, can, you can revoke treaties, right? You give them the yeah. notice. Why not? Absolutely. I mean, that's that sort of it's a, the dissolution of the Act of Union. It's like what we're after. I mean, Scotland oh, is already a country. You don't need to create a country. There's one here. We exist. You've the, got a parliament. Is, you've got you've got your own notes. You've got there's certain the matters reserved to Westminster. Legal but, system. Yeah, we got it. We got. Uh, you know, we exist as a as a country already. What Europe can do is just be supportive and to make make as many approving sounds as possible. The major reason why we lost the 2014 referendum was the the belief that Scottish independence would take Scotland out of the European Union. Of course, the the whole misinformation around COVID and vaccines and so forth and so on has probably dented some of the goodwill Scotland had to towards the European Union, because misinformation is misinformation. Europe is incredibly bad at defending itself from misinformation because, they, frankly, we don't give it to us. You know, it's like you can say whatever you like. You know. yeah, exactly. uh, but that's probably wrong. I mean, we, we should, in fact, Juncker said that he should, he was he regrets listening to Cameron when he saw all the misinformation because Cameron said, stay out of it. And he said, you know, we should have at least cleared up the, the the truth you know of course nobody in britain would have listened to some luxembourger but you know what can you do yeah well we would have up, up here we understand people from small nations who don't get heard uh, did you ever watch the baltic tiger thing on youtube uh, leslie riddock who's scottish she went to estonia to discuss how they got their independence she made an absolutely you should you should google this it's on youtube and it's a fantastic little documentary it's about a half hour film and it's about how estonia went from i mean they had a situation far worse than scotland and they just so they had something called the singing revolution where they told the ussr to piss off and they had no pensions and they had no currency and they had nothing they had no no natural resources they just had call they went out and went for it anyway and they interviewed the guy who was the prime minister at the time who was a man named matt lar and he had a fantastic quote he said the biggest hurdle is to find your courage all right once you've got <laughs> once you actually do it the rest of it is just figure it out you know so it's all right yeah it's, it's you've got to you've got to not be a freak it well, just gotta just gotta go for it 
that, that, that sort of not being afraid kind of just going for it attitude has been uh, discussed in social media the last couple of days since the Pollock Shields or the Kenmure Street victory you know that we're showing the way forward I think that in terms of Scotland's ability to carry out that act of civil disobedience it won't it will have drawn the eye of uh, people in London that we're quite happy and willing to and I doubt that the Scottish police will take action against the Scottish people certainly in Italy there is no way that the Carabinieri or the Polizia would ever take action against the people for some politicians in Rome. I mean, just, just unimaginable. You know, hopefully it's the same in Scotland. I don't know. I mean, like, so it depends. It depends what they're after. It depends what's being done. But in a peaceful, dem- I've never seen uh, not since the reform of the police in the 1980s uh, in in the west of Scotland. I've always found the uh, the police in the west of Scotland to be exceptionally professional individuals who take all sides of their job seriously and uh, and generally care about communities. I think the the Scottish police will always be the Scottish police. So the, the the days are tough. Scottish police picking you up, letting you go by the side of the road with a few, with a few having had a good kicking. It's long gone. That's back in the 1950s. Thanks, Patrick. So to summarise, um, the Scots have voted at least for a majority of independence parties and hopefully uh, they'll get the chance to put the question to the Scottish people and make a serious effort to overcome the misinformation that was so prevalent in 2014 and actually put the facts in front of the people to see which way they really want to vote. So we can hope the the Scots will be able to make an independent decision. At the moment, it looks like it's on a knife edge and there's no correct solution to the issue. I mean, there's arguments pro and against uh, independence, but, uh, you know, the Scots have more or less gotten tired of essentially having their country run by the country next door. So we wish them all the best. Keep an eye on it because it's one of the most exciting uh, exercises in democracy in Europe today. Uh, Speaking from the perspective of the European Union, we would love to welcome them back into the family if they choose uh, to uh, take the leap of faith. As the former Prime Minister of uh, Estonia declared, Matlar, you have to grab your courage and that's the most difficult thing. If you can achieve the leap of faith to actually make it happen, the rest of it's just a project plan and you can get through it. So all the best to the Scots and hopefully we'll see you again on another podcast next week. This is Francis signing off.